The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, <clears throat> and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand, and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you that are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed Me. I was naked, and you gave Me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you gave me no clothing sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for being king, ruler, and sovereign of our lives and indeed the entire cosmos which you have created. <clears throat> we thank you for a beautiful fall day that you have blessed us with yet again. We thank you for the gift of each other, this great fellowship of saints. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for all you do. Truly, we lack for nothing. We are mindful of that, and for that we say thank you. We are gathered here today to hear your word once again, to be comforted and consoled, to be uplifted and inspired, to be informed and enlightened and nourished. And towards that end, we pray that you may speak a life-giving word to us 
Remind us once again of who you are and who we are in you. Remind us of your great and unconditional love, grace, and mercy for us and for all humankind. Speak to us now, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> My sermon text for this morning is the Gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. It is Jesus' so-called parable on the last judgment. would like to take as my sermon title for today a phrase or question <clears throat> found four different times in the text. Namely, when was it? When was it? <clears throat> Christ the King Sunday always ends the Christian liturgical year by celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is our true King as Christians, and the kingdom of God is our chief concern, our true allegiance, and where our ultimate citizenship resides. And in the second article of both the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, which are our basic standards of faith, the last thing we confess concerning Jesus is that He will come to judge the living and the dead, and He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. <clears throat> we belong then, most fundamentally, to a kingdom far greater than our national and political identity as Americans, with our cherished values of democracy and capitalism. We belong rather to a sovereign and judge far more superior than anyone we will ever elect or appoint. This morning's text is challenging, fascinating, provocative. It comes in the fifth great discourse or teaching of Jesus found in Matthew's Gospel, encompassing chapters 24 and 25 concerning the end of time, the end of this age. Within that teaching, this is the fifth, final, and grand concluding parable, each of which advocate watchfulness and vigilance, wisdom and justice as together we approach the end. Jesus himself in this narrative is approaching his own end, as it were, as these are the last words on his lips before his own passion narrative begins. The very next verse, right outside of our reading for today, says forebodingly, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Today's text, known as the Great Judgment, is unique to Matthew's Gospel. It has no parallel text in the other gospel accounts of Mark, Luke, or John. It carries both great weight and provocation for a couple of reasons, chief of which is that it seems to belie, on the face of things, a key Christian doctrine concerning salvation. The vast bulk of the New Testament teaches that we are saved by grace through faith apart from any works of our own. Ephesians, for example, famously sums up, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of your works, lest anyone should boast. Romans similarly declares, For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, they are justified by His grace as a gift to be received by faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is, anything you do or don't do. 
Much of this thought from the Apostle Paul, the author of these letters, follows upon John's Gospel, wherein the deciding factor is belief or faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe, have faith in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the weight and the bulk of the New Testament and traditional Christian teaching, and rightly so, I might add, is that you are saved by belief or faith in Jesus and by God's grace, quite independently of anything you have done or not done. It is an utterly free gift from God based on God's goodness and God's initiative. And yet here, the only place in Scripture where Jesus Himself teaches on heaven and hell and who goes where and why, at the final judgment, at the end of time, nothing is said about belief in Him or grace, or faith, or free gift, it is all based on what you do or don't do. And then, to top it off, what you do or don't do has nothing to do with what we would call personal holiness, or morality, or righteousness. You know, the age-old categories of whether or not someone smokes, drinks, cusses, fornicates, listens to godless secular music, speaks in tongues, or is even a regular churchgoer for that matter. It is rather based entirely and solely on how one treats others. Now don't get it twisted, as they say. It all fits together as you study, reflect, and pray. God's free grace and belief in Jesus eventually issues forth in a life of compassion for others. And personal morality certainly has its place. But today's teaching from Jesus is critical, essential, provocative, a cautious and corrective reminder, it bears substantial reflection. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, Jesus declares in the opening three verses, and all the angels with them, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations shall be gathered before Him. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. This type of apocalyptic separation was alluded to earlier in Jesus' parables back in chapter 13, where a separation is made between the wheat and the weeds. The former are gathered, the latter are burned. The good fish and the bad fish caught together in that great dragnet. The former are put in baskets and the latter are thrown out. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, verse 34 says, Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. Here we do see grace, actually, meaning unmerited or undeserved favor. Inherit refers to something you didn't earn, work for, or merit. An inheritance is a gift actually earned by someone else. So if you're among the sheep, you receive an inheritance, a gift, something you didn't fundamentally earn. And that is the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly enough, prepared for the sheep, from the foundation of the world. Then comes the litany of good works or righteous deeds in which the sheep have walked. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was imprisoned and you visited me. Notice herein, if you will, a couple of things. First, God's special concern for the poor and needy. 
This is echoed in our first lesson from the prophet Ezekiel, where God declares that God Himself will begin to shepherd His people. And I quote, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Secondly, no mention is made in verses 35 and 36 of whether or not these particular folks of need deserved their plight. It doesn't say, in other words, whether they were lazy, shiftless people who somehow merited their misery, or whether they were diligent and industrious folk who simply fell through the cracks and therefore are more deserving of our sympathy. There is nowhere here communicated any correlation between personal worth and societal or life outcome. And thirdly, lest you despair of inadequacy, nothing is said either of the amount or quantity of your response in the text. It doesn't say whether you provided a nine-course meal or a few McNuggets, whether you gave a bottle of Mondave wine or a cup of cold water. It doesn't say whether you healed them of cancer or simply put a cold wash rag on their feverish, heated foreheads. You simply saw a need and responded, heard a cry and heeded it, discerned a lack and made provision. Another fascinating and jarring aspect of this text is the reaction of these two groups, the sheep and the goats, to the king's pronouncement. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it? Somebody say, when was it? That we saw you hungry and gave you food, thirsty and gave you drink, a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you, sick or in prison and visit you. When was it? They say it three times there. In the text, in three verses, when was it? When was it? When was it? I love this reaction. Because those who are sheep aren't even aware of it. Those who are righteous are oblivious. Those who provide do so reflexively without even thinking. Those who are going to heaven here don't even know it. Seem to be surprised by it. Really? When was it? When did I do that? I don't even remember. I don't even recall. Now, when you look at the other side, there's a glaring disparity on a couple of levels. Then he will say to those at his left hand, verse 41 reports, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and all his angels. Why? The opposite of the above litany. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not come visit me. And what's their response? Verse 44. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? When did we not do it, Lord? One way of reading this, my friends, is that the goats are as seemingly as shocked as the sheep, but for the opposite reason. They seem to think that they are doing these things and are therefore seemingly indignant that it's even being brought up at all in question. When did we not do that? The sheep and the goats are both unawares. The righteous ask, when did we do these things? While the unrighteous ask, when did we not do them? Those at the king's right hand are genuinely shocked and pleasantly surprised while those at his left come across as defensive, smug, and offended. 
In short, in this parable anyway, those who are going to heaven don't realize it, and those who think they are apparently aren't. It's another one of Jesus' jarring role reversals, similar to when He said sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes, prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before priests and religious leaders. Here once again in this Scripture, the Gospel serves to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. The Gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. It all depends on where we find ourselves. The pearl of criterion here is the justifiably memorable verses 40 and 45. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. First off, what group here is the desired object of Jesus' concern and our compassion and service. The least of these. The lost, last, least, lonely, broken, forgotten, and forsaken. The hurting and grieving and vulnerable. Those taunted, scorned, mocked, bullied, picked on. The last person picked on the playground. Historically speaking, those without voice or power. The marginalized. Women. Black and brown people. Immigrants. And refugees. LGBTQ plus community. Those incarcerated. Those disabled. Or differently abled. What number in that group does Jesus mention here? One. One of the least of these. You don't have to save the world, my friend. Save one. You don't have to feed the world. Feed one. You can't protect everyone. Protect one. And finally, notice that Jesus doesn't liken Himself to the least of these as much as equate Himself to them. As you have done to them, you have done to me. As you have not done to them, you have not done to me. When we bless our brothers and sisters in need, we bless Jesus. When we ignore, dismiss, or hurt them, we ignore, dismiss, and hurt Jesus. The concluding verse 46, And these goats will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous sheep into eternal life. Towards the end of His Sermon on the Mount, back in chapter 7, Jesus says, disturbingly, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in heaven. Okay, so what's His will? On that day, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not do many mighty works in Your name? When did we not do it, O Lord? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, You evildoers. 
There are three levels of increasing reactions to God's Word as I read it in the Bible. Number one, King Herod Antipas has imprisoned John the Baptist, whom he will eventually have put to death. It says there that Herod heard him. He was much perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. He heard him. He was much perplexed, and he heard him gladly. That's stage one. You hear God's Word. You are perplexed. You don't quite understand it yet, yet you hear it gladly. You're intrigued, interested, curious. That's a King Herod reaction. Number two, after Jesus is resurrected on that original Easter, he travels with two of his disciples, one of them named Cleopas, on the road to Emmaus, but they don't recognize him. Only later does he reveal himself to them in their supper together, in the breaking of the bread. After which, the disciples say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us and opened the scriptures to us on the road. Herein you hear the word, your heart burns within you, but you don't yet see Christ for who he is. That's number two. That's a Cleopas reaction. Number three, in the book of James, it enjoins us, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. For a hearer forgets, but a doer acts, and he shall be blessed in his doing. He is blessed in his doing. That's a James reaction. You are blessed when you feed the hungry. You are blessed when you give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, and visit the sick and imprisoned. They might be filled, but you are blessed. They might be embraced and warmed and comforted, but you are blessed. And the more blessed you become, the more you go from King Herod to Cleopas to James, from perplexed to your heart burning to a doer who acts, the more sheep-like you become. You become so reflexive in your loving, so spontaneous in your giving, so natural in your serving, so unthinking in your generosity, so tireless in your ministry, so joyful in your compassion, passion and provision, so unstinting in your self-emptying, so indefatigable in your discipleship. The next thing you know, you look up and you say, was that me? When did I do that? How much did I give again to how many people? When was it that I did that? When was it? When was it again? When was it in 